I'm Jane Leader, and you're listening to Older Women and Friends. You know, we older women have a lot to say about love, grief, loss, and resilience. We're more comfortable speaking our truth. We've been good scouts and earned our badges, and now it's time to change the perception that the gig is just about up, when in truth, the second wave of the gig has just begun. We are the matriarchs, the women at the top of the food chain, and we've been given the precious gift of passing along the wisdom that we fought so hard for. So let's build a community of older women, women who are strong, self-fulfilled, and a hell of a lot of fun. Hi. Barbara Ballinger is an award-winning freelance journalist, author, and reporter. Margaret Crane is a nationally known freelance writer, and together the two women are authors of Suddenly Single After 50 and their latest book, Not Dead Yet, Rebooting Your Life After 50. Welcome to both of you. Thank Thank you for having us. I know there's so much emphasis put on the importance of friendship, particularly as we age. I've read things where experts are suggesting that we have eight to 10 really good friends. Clearly, the two of you fall into that category. So Barbara, can you tell me a little bit about how the two of you met and bonded? Yes, I had moved to St. Louis, and we disagree a little bit about the when, but a mutual friend introduced us because we were both writers, along with there was another person at the lunch, and then one who wasn't a writer. And we both uh, shared, an in- besides being writers, we both shared an interest in family business. I was writing about a lot of family businesses in St. Louis for the newspaper there in the business section, and Margaret or Meg was part of a family business uh, with her husband and uh, father, and she was writing about it as a freelancer. So we both were eager to do something more, which was our very first book, Corporate Bloodlines, and we had fun. So we continued and we became friends along the way. It's hard to work together without some form of friendship. Margaret, what was it about Barbara that let you know that attracted you that she had characteristics that were very important to you as a good friend she's a terrific person who was very positive very easy to work with she made me feel terrific about what i'd write she wasn't critical we we worked out a routine about how to work together without being mean or judgmental and we've carried this through for years and we're not Um, we're not competitive at all yeah ego is small you have to bury your ego i was curious to know what some of the major life events that the two of you have faced and shared so barbara maybe you can start well the first one you know we're working along and everything is rosy peachy i mean we have the the ups and downs of raising kids and being in long-term marriages, and then whammo, my long-term marriage fell apart, and I didn't even know it. I mean, Meg reminds me 
that uh, she remembers the call when I told her that my former husband and I were separating after, at that point, it was about 29 years of marriage. And I had moved, you know, to St. Louis, to Chicago and back to St. Louis. And she was floored. Is that true, Margaret? Were you floored? Uh, I was floored. I thought, no way. But yes, it was true. And we've been through her divorce, which I feel like I went through. And then my husband passed away. He had cancer. And Barbara, I'm sure, could say she feels like she lived through that with me. And Barbara counseled me and held my hand and vice versa. We were there for each other as much as it was possible at the time. Very special. Very lucky. In Not Dead Yet, you detail some of the reasons why and how much older women aged gracefully and happily. Can you share some of those, I'm going to call them secrets, but you talked about several older women and what it was about their attitude, their take on life that, as far as they were concerned, really made the difference and their ability to age older and gracefully. I'm thinking primarily of my own mother, who aged at 75 years old. She picked up from her suburban house after my dad died and moved to New York City, where she felt her two granddaughters would rather visit her. So I, I think now about that as I approach. I'm not there yet, but soon. And I think about that sense of adventure and wonderlust she had Despite the ages, she went with me to China at she was almost 90 after a uh, knee replacement. And she I joke that she did everything on the trip, walked, except when we got to the Great Wall, she did not walk the length of the Great Wall. Nobody did. But she, you know, stayed put and looked at the Great Wall. So her sense of adventure and people she didn't want to be with, she wouldn't tell them to their face. She was too sweet and kind and middle child, but she would tell me, oh, the hell with them. So this attitude of, you know, don't let it get you down. And another friend of hers, who's almost uh, 99, also has that sense of working a long time, learning, constantly wanting to know more. So I think of them, those lessons. So it's keeping minds active and bodies active. The idea is never stop moving. The minute we stop moving, then our, you know, we, we are in trouble. I remember reading something about not to worry about the small stuff. Margaret, can you tell me an example of that? Or what are things that we would categorize as small stuff? Oh, people not talking to you, not being invited to a certain event, being left out. I don't know, Barbara, what are, what's the small stuff? Not dwelling on the negative so much. We both try to be grateful for what we have, not compare ourselves to anyone else. You know, the, the bigger house, the bigger apartment, the fancier trips. I mean, they're all sort of irrelevant in the end. We We both have a between us, among us, we have five great kids. And speaking of kids, because I know you spend some time talking about relationships between older moms and their adult children. 
And one of the, (laughs) yeah, everybody's laughing, going, oh, no, are we going to talk about that? Uh, I have, um, by the way, I'm 77 and I have a 49-year-old son. Mm -hmm. So I get all this. But for women who are finding themselves in this situation or are about to find themselves in this situation, what are the some of the things that we all need to know so that we can make this relationship a fruitful one for everyone? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, Meg can tell something that she told me a funny story with her daughter. And my older daughter spent has spent the last two weekends with me. And I have learned to keep my mouth shut. Even though I want to say something, I want to correct her, I want to tell her to be kinder or something, or not get annoyed at me because she's annoyed about something else. I don't bitch to her. I call up Meg or email Meg and bitch (laughs) to her. This is true. What about setting guidelines or lines that should not be crossed? That's, That's certainly one of them, which is not to tell your kids what you think, particularly if it's something negative or something that you feel that they should change. And Margaret, do you, how many kids do you have? I have three grown children, two in their 40s and one in his late 30s. It's very important if they are telling us what to do, which the tables have flipped. We used to be able to tell them what to do, to set those boundaries and say, that's fine. I appreciate the suggestion, but if they're unappreciative, We need to say something and set those boundaries. I have my two girls both have grandchildren, have children. So I have grandchildren and and I try and also tell them they're they're doing things differently than I did, which is fine in many cases. A few cases I disagree, but I, again, I keep my mouth shut, but I tell them, I think what good parents they are, uh, how impressed I am. My older daughter, I told her this weekend that I thought she was handling something fabulously. Do I tell her when I think she shouldn't buy that Chanel purse? I don't tell her, but I sort of, you know, roll my eyes and, you know, it's sort of one of the family jokes, but, but they told us during COVID that was my first real experience with being told by my kids, mom, you shouldn't be doing this. Mom, you shouldn't be doing that. I think Meg got that too. Definitely. What kinds of things were you shouldn't have been doing? Going out, going to the grocery store, mixing with other people. Wearing a mask all the time. But we were good. We're still good about that. Yeah. So they were concerned. They were concerned about your health. Yes. I mean, I'm getting now, I'm in a two-story older home. I went for a walk with my older daughter when she was visiting and her baby. And mom, as we walked by a lot of houses, mom, you really need to be thinking about a place with a first floor bedroom because you should be doing it now so I don't have to move you later. Right. And I'm thinking of possibly staying in New York and buying something or possibly moving back to St. Louis where it's a lot cheaper. But my daughter has given me instructions what I'm supposed to look for in this apartment. She's 3,000 miles away in L.A., but she's calling the shots from the sidelines. Because she's an expert now that she owns the place. Yes, she bought a condo, so she's the expert. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
So you, you two mentioned something, and I'm going to go back to it, because both of you lost a husband, one to divorce and right. one who passed away. I also know that you wrote about your dating experiences, and I'm <laughs> sure that there are listeners right now who may be finding themselves in the same situation. They are single, maybe for many years, maybe just recently. So how long was it before you actually decided to date? We had very different views. Because I was dumped, as I like to say, the divorce wasn't my choice. I needed validation that somebody else wanted me, you know, somebody else would take me off the shelf. So I started as soon as a cousin of my former husband's told me about the dating sites. I didn't know anything about them. This was back in 2000. And she told me about them. And initially, you know, people weren't talking about that that much. It was, you know, oh, how did you meet so-and-so? And I would say, oh, through a friend, rather than saying through the JDate or Match.com site. I was embarrassed that I couldn't meet someone on my own, but I went for it right away. There were people who were worth dating for a while, in fact, and others. It was interesting because I got married at 22. So what did I really know about all the types of inventory that are available? And, you know, there were a lot of lies and there were a lot of tall tales and big fish stories or whatever. And eventually I got to the point after 350 dates, I was going, I kept a spreadsheet. I was going to be through with it. I was in my new village and I thought, I can live a happy life on my own. And then I was fixed up by friends. And that was the person that you are still with today? Yes, but we don't live together and we don't plan to. We're very happy in our separate but together relationship. Living apart together. It's called. Living, Living apart, apart together. together. Right. I've, I've thought about that arrangement just by the by. Um, <laughs> and Margaret, what was your yes. experience? My husband died after five years of illness. And I remember I was in my attorney's office and he said, when you start dating again, don't get married. It's too complicated. And I said, dating again, there's absolutely no way I would allow anyone to get near me. I was married 42 years. I knew nothing. Okay. I too was married at 22. And then one day I'm in the Apple store and I see this guy looking at me and it was someone I knew from high school. I came home and I mentioned it to my sister, who's a lot younger than I am, but she remembered him when we went out and she said, call him, contact him. And I said, I don't do those things. What do I know? It's a different world. And then Barbara said, oh, Meg, just do it. Come on, be, be a grown up, you know, miss 365 dates later. Okay, so I found him online and I sent him an email. Hi, do you remember me? And I didn't hear for several weeks and I was getting my hair colored and the guy who does it said, you should be dating, you're so cute and you have lots of energy, blah, blah, blah. And my phone pinged and there he was and <laughs> the rest is history. We dated for, how long did we date Barbara? Three, three and a half three years. years. And what started out as so much fun, I mean, he's smart and funny and blah, blah, but it just didn't work out. And at that point, I mean, a couple people had asked me out after, I just really 
had never lived on my own. And I like it. I, I really enjoy it. Would I like companionship? Sure. But I don't want to go through the auditioning process. So it's just a matter if somehow someone introduces you or you see someone across yeah, the I room do. and there's this immediate attraction and you run toward each other. <laughs> like the movies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Harrison Ford, I wouldn't turn down. Let's put it down. Yeah. So what advice can you offer? You both have had very different experiences, but Barbara, what would you tell a woman who has been divorced either by her own choice or, as you say, having been dumped? What, what are some of the rules of the road, if there are any? Well, I think you have to pay close attention to the red flags and trust your gut a lot. I ignore things because I remember somebody I went out with and a friend said, you can't go out with somebody who's seeing somebody else. And I said, oh, but he's going to fall madly in love for me and he's going to dump the other person. And I think that's so pay attention to those red flags and don't think you have to get married. Think that you can have fun. You can test the waters. And I think the advice that my therapist in St. Louis gave was one of the best, which was learn to spend time with yourself. I had never done that. And he said, you need to stay home on a Saturday night and do whatever. And I learned to go to Barnes and Noble and get a coffee and sit and look at magazines and books and not be afraid to go to the movie by myself. You know, we're at a stage now where we have so many friends, both men and women who are losing spouses or partners that we're not alone either. You know, we have people we can call up and go with and my mother was very good about having singles over, and I try to do that too. And Margaret, you said right now you really enjoy living on your own. I do. I had never lived on my own. And it's a whole new stage for me. When my husband died, I looked around, he did everything. And I thought, now what am I supposed to do? I think it's important to grieve, allow yourself that space. Um, I joined a grief support group, which doesn't always work for people, but mine was fantastic. And I made lifelong friends through it. Um, we're still in touch. And, you know, and of course I panicked. Can I afford to even live in this house that I was in? I was worried about all kinds of things. Was I going to end up as a Walmart greeter? We talk about some of these in our suddenly single book. I had a, an arrangement with myself. For two years before I started dating this person, I would make sure I was busy at least one weekend night so that I wasn't sitting by myself every weekend. And I, I went back to work full time and I was busy. That was my way of coping. I was busy, busy, busy. I think we both reached out. We knew which female friends or yeah. couple yeah. friends right. we could reach out to who would include us, we could say, you know, what are you doing? Can I join you? And we've continued to, we keep making new friends. I mean, I have this one relative who told me to go online who said, you just don't make good friends in your seventies. Well, you may not make your best buddy, you know, your BFF or whatever, but you can make friendships of all kinds, which we learned about. And we keep adding our kids both say to us, oh, you could talk to a tree. And we do sometimes talk to, you know, strangers. 
it's getting out there and making making that effort. I I understand that completely. It's, it right. feels to sure. me, yeah, almost like when I spent some time in another city and how assertive I needed to be to reach out to get to know people. And I think it does take some effort, particularly for women who uh, are not necessarily able to talk to a tree. There's also, I think, a little fear of rejection, even as yeah. we move toward making new friends, isn't there? Yes. Right. I think it's important to get yourself out there and join clubs, go to temple or church. I mean, I've met people at bus stops. I mean, Meg moved to New York before the pandemic, just recently, I mean, fairly recently, and has made a host of new friends. Right. You have to form a community and it's tough to do. And I have a few different communities here. I have a synagogue, temple community. I have an organization community. I work in a food pantry community, a tutoring community because I tutor elementary school kids. Just figure out your passions and volunteer or work part time and you're bound to meet people at work. And when you meet people, I read recently in the Washington Post, there should be that spark, whether it's romantic or just a friendship, because friendships keep you living longer. More important than romantic relationships. You know, the older we get, the more the insults to our bodies and to <laughs> our minds. And you have some do's and don'ts about talking about or listening to what we call organ recitals, oh, yeah. where everybody gets together and starts talking about their latest malady and their doctor's appointment and what medication they're on. And uh, you've got some do's and don'ts about how to handle that. It, it's easy. It's an easy thing to fall into at this age. And everybody has something wrong with them. I mean, I think you need to have that friend like, you know, Meg and I will bounce off our latest doctor appointment. I mean, because we're, we're our doctors are our social friends now. We're spending more time with them, it seems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's true. They know us better than anybody. Now, another thing you talk about is retiring and either retiring full-time or part-time. And you cite some case histories that illustrate different ways of retiring you know, what are some of those ways? I, I know there are women probably a little younger than we are in our 70s, but women maybe in their late 50s, early 60s, and are trying to figure out what they want to do and how to go about it. What kind of suggestions or advice might you have? The number one thing, if you are going to retire, you have to have something to retire to and figure out what your passions are. And if you wanna continue working, work part-time. We're at an age, 50 plus, where you have a lot more choices and a lot more time. The phase retirement, you know, you don't go Friday uh, working All to right. Monday being retired. Try it out, That it's the new, we talk about someone in the book who advises that. And my beau, as I call him, who's a financial planner, tells clients who were considering it, he says, okay, what are you going to be on the Tuesday, do on the Tuesday after you retire? Not the Monday, because that day maybe you'll goof off completely. But 
you know, how do you see yourself spending your time? I have a lot of friends now who are going to Florida full time or, you know, for through a few months a year. And I've had someone recently said, well, aren't you coming? And I said, no, we both work and we still like our work and we're able to fit in other things besides work for me painting. Um, and Meg does all this volunteer work. Yeah. It's fabulous. No, I, it's, it's important to volunteer because it makes you feel so good and it's good for your brain chemistry. And our new mantra in writing this book was live in the present, live in the moment. My kids used to say that to me and I didn't quite understand what they were talking about. And we write a weekly blog, which is a lot of fun. www.lifelessonsat50plus.com. You can sign up for it. It comes it arrives Friday in your email box. It's usually 7 a.m. It falls working well Eastern time. <laughs> and you can have coffee with us. And then you can write a comment or tell us what you want us to write about. It also runs in the St. Louis Jewish Light oh, right. on, on Wednesdays. Oh, how nice. Great, great, great. This has been a pleasure. There's so much that's interesting and important. Um, I personally highly recommend not dead yet, rebooting your life after 50. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Older Women and Friends. And speaking of friends, please tell yours. And if you're interested in reaching me with comments or suggestions, you can do that by emailing me at olderwomenandfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out my blog at 70andme.com. And that's 70, the letter N, me, 70andme.com. Until next time.